Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Seriously, thank you so much for joining us. My co-host Seth is here with me. How are you feeling, Seth? Man, I'm feeling. <laughs> You're feeling. I'm feeling. <laughs> the uh, The title my Bible puts for this section is Submission to Authority. My favorite topic. Yeah, one, because I love submitting to other people. I love because it. It's I'm my favorite so thing. humble. Submission is so no humble, problem me. Don't want to be autonomous. Uh, <laughs> but also because it talks about submission to the government slaves being submissive to their masters and wives submissive to their husbands. Lots of, lots of, and husbands being submissive yeah. to their wives. Lots uh, of hot topics. So it's just, it's a, it's a live conversation. It's a live conversation on many levels. Yes. Uh, and I am excited to talk about it, but also just feel a fair degree of like, yes, sober sobriety. Sober sobriety. Sober sobriety. <laughs> Not just sobriety. Even my sobriety is sober. <laughs> my sobriety. Okay, so we are in First Peter. This is now our third episode in First Peter. Mm-hmm. We did an introduction where we talked about chapter one. Uh, last week, we talked about First Peter chapter two, about being holy temples mm-hmm. and a holy people. And now we are talking about holy living. Yeah, right. First Peter two one through twelve ends as us being royal priests, and then he says two things that those royal priests are supposed to do. One, they're supposed to proclaim the excellencies of the God who brought us out of darkness, and two, we're supposed to live differently than the Gentiles around us. Mm-hmm. We're to keep our conduct honorable, so that when they speak against us as evil doers, they will see our good deeds and glorify the God of the day of visitation. Yeah. So there's something really apologetic that's happening in this moment as we move into this. What do you mean by that? It means that as Peter is talking about Christians submitting to authority, he wants our submission to authority to address his culture's view of Christians. Mm. His culture's view of Christians was that they were anti the established authority, Ah. that they were going against the grain of what was good for society. And so he's talking to them, saying, no, you need to act in such a way that your Gentile overlords, your Gentile husbands, your Gentile masters, your Gentile governors can't point a finger at you and say you've done something wrong. You're ruining our society. Right. Right. That's that's the context in mm. which he's speaking. And there's a fair, de- and the assumption is that there's a fair degree of suspicion on uh-huh. behalf of the governments and ruling people 
about Christianity's influence in their society. Yeah. Okay. So can we lean into that background a little bit? Sure. Okay. Because I think this is going to be really helpful to yep. make sure we have the background, the historical moment mm-hmm. that Peter's addressing in this episode. And so we're talking about some cities in Asia Minor that um, you have these Gentile populations in, and now they're becoming Christians. And because they're Christians, they're starting to live differently mm-hmm. than the than the norm, the yep. cultural norms that are there. And the surrounding cultures, their neighbors, their governors, their established orders are becoming suspicious about this Christian movement. Yeah, what do we, yeah, pagan governors ask, what do we do with these Christians who are calling somebody named Jesus King, King. and Lord? Right, what about Caesar? What about Caesar? Yeah. Isn't he God? Isn't he Lord? Right. Christian masters are looking at a Bible full of stories about liberation from slavery, mm. and they are persecuting their slaves and how are slaves supposed to respond yeah you have roman husbands who by all accounts have the most power in ancient society Mm -hmm. and who expect their wives to follow their religion Mm -hmm. no longer following the religion of the household but their own religion now you have yeah you have wives following a different religion than their than their husbands and that was forbidden by law wasn't it? it there was legislation being passed that did not allow women to have a different religion. a different religion because there was uh, religion to Bacchus and the Egyptian goddess Isis that were uh-huh. particularly prone to attracting women, and so uh. there was like legislation that Rome was pushing down so women couldn't have a different religion than their husband. Okay, and so you have that happening in the background. So what's a Christian wife to do? Mm-hmm. What's a Christian slave to do? What's a Christian citizen to do right. when the authority figures are against them and persecuting them. Yep. Uh, and yeah, and then, so all that's happening. And then at the same time, so that's kind of what the outside world is asking. Mm-hmm. And then internally, there's the question of like, how am I supposed to be a set apart people in this world? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm an exile. That's the, yeah. that's the prevailing metaphor. They're of foreigners Peter. in their marriage. They're exiles in their government. I don't They're, belong anywhere. Yep. And yet I'm supposed to be a light. Mm-hmm. to this place i'm supposed to like be a holy presence and like be a living priest to these people around me and help them encounter the god of the universe how can i do that when i'm so marginalized so foreign so uh-huh. estranged and exiled that like n- I-, I i just don't belong mm-hmm. anywhere i have no sense of place like yeah. how-, how am i supposed to live yep. in this complex reality i found myself in yeah and so we could start with verse 13 like Peter wants us to in this new section, <laughs> but I think it might be helpful to go to first 16 first. Okay. And this is kind of his concluding sentence uh, as he talks about honoring the emperor, but he says this, live as a people, and he just called us a chosen people, a special mm-hmm. possession of God's people who are free. We are free in God. We are free in Jesus. Yeah, which is like a strange thing to say right after saying like, okay, you need to like submit to the emperor. It Submit is a to Caesar. It's but a, live as free. Wink. Right. <laughs> yes, we will get there. Okay. So live as people who are free. We're not free. We're free from sin. We're free from darkness. Mm. We're free from alienation from God. Mm. We're free from having received no mercy, but now we receive mercy. Like we're free from a lot of things. But don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Oh, well, I'm allowed to do that. Right but living as servants of God. So Peter takes our citizenship in the free country Mm -hmm. of God's kingdom as the necessary connection to living in the free country of God's kingdom is being living servants 
of God, which I think is just really interesting. You've already pointed out, like, why are you talking about freedom in a passage right. that's just connected to submission to authorities? Yeah. Well, I think it's because Peter sees living in God's kingdom as primarily a freedom that's bound up in submission. Right. So what you're saying is you've been freed to be a slave? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to ask, is it the same word slave that they use in just a second uh, to describe slaves and masters? Uh, I, was, I can look really quickly. I was going to do the same little. Let's see here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's different. This is actually, a, a, in a sense, a harsher term. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the household servant. This is the, the doulos, like, the, like a the slave slave. So it's even could be even one upping the type of servitude he'll talk about socially here in a second. Um, I mean, this just makes me think about. I'm not trying to like draw unnecessary comparisons, but it makes me think about Romans six really clearly. Yes, which is just like you are either a slave to sin or a slave to God. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a slave to sin. But those who put their faith in Jesus have been set free from their slavery to mm-hmm. sin in order that they might become slaves to righteousness, slaves to God. So you're yeah. going to be slaves to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want it to be sin or do you want it to be God? And so the idea of freedom in the kingdom of God is a freedom from sin, but that sells you to a new good master, God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of scholars and commentators have picked up on the fact that this is actually a a, tr- a a real statement about life. Hmm. Everybody's enslaved. We just don't always recognize it as such. Okay. And so the Bible's doing something. We're saying, okay, you think you're free in being a Roman man mm-hmm. and being a liberated woman and being whoever, but you're really enslaved to something bigger than you. Right. And it will give you diminishing returns and it'll eat you alive one mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, that's the way and like, there's all, even like non-Christians, Totally. Talk about this yeah. reality. Like you serve money, power, sex, it'll eat you alive one day. Totally. You serve beauty, it will kill you by a thousand cuts. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's yeah. David Foster Wallace. Yeah. Um there's that reality happening mm-hmm. too. Everyone's a master to something. Right. Christianity says, okay, that's true. We're all slaves to someone. Mm-hmm. But we're slaves to the king of freedom. Right. So we live as slaves to him. So he's saying, like a mark of being a citizen of this kingdom that has made you an exile in your own home is that you are free to be a slave. Yeah. Okay. So then what does that look like then from a practical standpoint about uh, your relationship to the government, you know, slaves to the masters and wives to their husbands? Can I ask a a different question? Definitely. Just like, because I want to camp out on the idea of like free to be a slave. Okay. Why is that good news? Mm. It's Romans 6, right? Yeah. Free from sin. That's good news. I don't have to bow to sex money and power is my right. ultimate god but like what why is it good news that i'm a slave to righteousness right a slave a living servant to god like yeah i mean my i have an answer okay um <laughs> uh so we we think that he, the only reason this is a question is because we live in an age where absolute autonomy and libertarianism is 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 the is the ultimate good mm-hmm. that if I can make any choice I want at any given moment without any external pressure, I am free, mm-hmm. and that is our understanding of freedom. Yeah. The Bible kind of demonizes that that version of freedom and says anytime you have that that kind of freedom, be it ever so illusory, you will make the wrong choice. <laughs> Adam and Eve in the garden, 
right? Right. When they had the ability to choose good or evil, they chose evil. Yeah. Uh, we do the same thing every single day uh, because we're slaves to sin. And yeah. so the only way to escape our preternatural disposition, our bent towards sin, toward mm -hmm. always falling into the traps we set for ourselves, the only escape is to become enslaved to righteousness, mm -hmm. to actually have sin ripped out of us, to, to finally get to a point where we can't sin anymore. Hmm. And that's the good news. The good news of what Jesus has done for us by conquering sin on the cross ultimately will manifest itself in heaven as not being able to sin. Yeah. As being free from sin so that you can be enslaved to goodness. Yeah. So that you no longer can harm yourself. Like you no longer hmm. can hurt you or the world around you or those you love. And hmm. it's like you you are you yeah. are owned by goodness yeah and that's good news to, to me that's really good no, news. that is good and i think it's helpful like take all the cultural commentary take all of like you're a slave to beauty or money or sex or power it's like take all that off the table yeah. i want to be a better husband yeah but find myself continually hamstrung by my myself right i want to be a better father i want to be a better neighbor i want to be a better friend and that does not happen with the speed or with the frequency or the right. consistency that i want yes I want to be a slave to righteousness yeah. because right now I'm, I seem to be a slave to the opposite of being a good father, husband, friend. Yeah. I would neighbor. love it for it just to just overtake me and like make me yeah. a good person. Uh, and that's what the gospel will do and is doing through sanctification. Yeah. And so, now, yeah, that's my and thoughts. And okay. So that's good news. Why is being a slave to something actually freedom? Mm, Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, I know it, now I know why being a slave is good news, but how is that actually freedom? Uh, I don't know if it needs to be. Okay. You've been set free to be a slave is not the same thing as slavery being freedom. Yeah, I'm looking at just Peter, live as people who are free. Uh-huh. So that's what that's what I, that's what I'm like trying to live in for yes, a second. So what I does what freedom mean here then? If, right. If being if it's good news to be a slave, how is being a slave freedom? Or are we just making two texts talk to each other that shouldn't? Well, it's like you're, you're living as people who are free. You are free from the rule of the emperor. Like, yeah, you have a different king, a different mm -hmm. nationality. You're free from that. Mm -hmm. You have a, a, a bigger batter, you know, not in an evil mm -hmm. sense, like a stronger king has overtaken Caesar yeah. and you serve him now. You're free from Caesar, but don't use that freedom as a cover-up for evil, right? <laughs> Uh, right. instead like be a slave to me. Okay. And so like, I think we are being freed from something mm -hmm. to be enslaved to something else. Yeah. I think I have probably a really weird American conception of freedom where it's just like freedom. Right. Heck yeah. <laughs> I can go and do whatever I want on the out, out in the frontier. Like that's yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. this weird nebulous sense of freedom. Yes. Uh, but that's freedom is actually freedom from something else. Yes. Like, you, you can't just have freedom. That's what I always, when I get into conversations with people and they talk about freedom as an yeah. American construct, that's always a question I ask them is freedom from what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. And most of the time they cannot give me an answer because the, the things they list exist in most other countries. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I can go where I want. You can in Spain too. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Not to, I'm not trying to crap on American freedom or anything, no. but it is, it's, we have to understand that it's not a, a nebulous idea. We're talking about 
you have been actually freed, freed from, from the oppression of the Roman government and Caesar mm-hmm. being your lord to force you to yeah. worship pagan gods. Yes, yeah, spiritually you were enslaved to Rome, to the powers, to sin. Yes. But now you're exiles from there. You're no longer bound by them. You're free from them. So what happens when you're actually still physically yep. a servant of Rome? Yeah. You're still a s- actual slave to your master <laughs> yeah. and under the thumb of your pagan husband. Yeah. What do you do then? What do you do then? If the spiritual reality is you're free, yeah. what do you do when you're still in servitude? Yeah. Do you rebel against your, your master? Do right. you divorce your husband? Do you form a coup against the emperor? You know, yep. and this is where it starts to get like this is when now all the listeners are going, what do you okay, say? So, we're yeah. saying, so let's get into yeah. verse. Th- let's go back now. <laughs> okay. Verse 13. Verse 13. So be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governor sent by him to punish those who do good, evil and praise those who do good. This is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So that's the first command. So mm. the first, obviously when you talk about exiles and foreigners, like, the national is clearly the first place you would go. So what is it, how does a Christian citizen relate to their pagan emperor? Oh, man. For David, this is a loaded This is com- a very loaded question It's a loaded conversation. Uh, yes. I mean, okay, what I immediately think of, though, is Daniel. I immediately think of Daniel. Mm-hmm. And, like, he was able to live as a free slave mm-hmm. in Babylon. Yep. You know, he found a way to like live separately from Babylonian opulence yeah. and worship of false idols and everything like that while still maintaining a pretty good relationship with the king. Yeah. It's just like, an, that's what my mind went. Yeah. As like a good narrative example of what we're talking about. The first thing I thought of too here is that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Yes. It goes back to the apologetic thrust of what we're talking about here. There's a skepticism, a distrust of, a hostility towards Christians that could make it easy for mm. us to want to respond in kind. Yes. But there's a way to act in that situation that will make all those arguments seem like ignorance. Right. We can re- relate to our government in such a way that no one could accuse us of being insubordinate. Right. But... Still citizens of a new kingdom. Yes. The perfect example I can think of for this is Jesus. Okay. Okay. Jesus was arrested, taken before governing authorities, and they could not make an accusation stick on him. He had lived such a perfect life that even when they rallied false witnesses. The witnesses couldn't agree. The witnesses couldn't agree, and the king ended up throwing their case out. It took a literal like mob acting like against this right. like very malleable governor pilot that led to the crucifixion mm-hmm. of Jesus. And it's like Jesus like lived a perfect life. No one can make accusations stick against him. Mm-hmm. And yet he was the most countercultural person ever to live. You yes. know, he lived as a new citizen of a new kingdom, a new creation and was arrested. And yet no one could bring a charge against him. Why? Cause he was so holy. He was so good yeah. that like no charge stuck. And that, that's what you're talking about here mm-hmm. is like, we can live apart from the world and have different values and, and and live in different ways. And when people come to us and say like, look, man, you're really messing up the society here. Yeah. And it's like, okay, what do you mean? How? They won't be able to make anything stick because they're like, well, you've messed up the neighborhood. How? Oh, actually, you've made it a lot better. You know, you've messed yeah. up Oklahoma City. How? Actually, you've made it a lot better. 
and they you'll you'll put their accusations against your christianity Mm -hmm. to shame by being such a good christian Mm mm-hmm I think that's what's getting. That's what he's I think that's. At. I think that's exactly right. The accusation is that Christians were a disruption to the social order. Yeah, they were against the common good. Mm-hmm. I mean, even that's a the new atheists talked about that for a long time. Before, Definitely before they fizzled out. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, we don't need more Christians in the world. Was the argument? Yeah. Because the more Christians you have, the more embattled their you know things right. are. And it's like yeah. But then the argument against that was like, look at all the good that Christianity has done in the world. Yeah. It puts the argument to shame. We use our freedom from the world, yes. freedom from a particular government, freedom from whatever. Not for evil, but for good. But for good. Yeah. And I really think that's as simple as it gets. It's mm-hmm. like, I, we don't, that's all it means, I think. I don't think he, here's what, here's what it means behind what it means. Mm-hmm. A dangerous phrasing. Yeah. But it goes back to what you were talking to about Jesus. Jesus was willing to suffer unjustly so that he could offer kindness so mm-hmm. that he could offer love so that he could do something else. Like yeah. there was a willingness to suffer unjustly. And we'll get to that particularly with the slaves because in suffering unjustly, there's something redemptive that happens on the other side. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, maybe that's more than what's happening with slaves. But I just keep thinking about that too. It's like, I'm unwilling to suffer unjustly. So I react against that. Mm-hmm. I get angry. I rebel. I riot. I don't want that. So I get want to get even. Mm-hmm. So I th- do you see what I'm saying? Like behind like I, this? I do. Yeah. Um, has got to be a willingness to suffer as Jesus suffered. Yes. Uh, the thing that's ringing in my head is there's this book by Esau McCauley yeah. called Reading While Black. Yeah, I, and I that, yeah. it's about an African American hermeneutic. Okay, uh, and he talks about texts like this. He focuses uh-huh. on Romans thirteen, but similar text, yeah. submitting to the governing authorities, and he just talks about how those texts have kind of been weaponized against mm. oppressed communities that have been oppressed by the government. To it's like you just need to be willing to suffer unjustly whenever there's like police brutality, right? And it's like the the good thing for a Christian to do is to take it on the cheek. Well, I've heard that same even in the the conversation about women and uh-huh. wives. It's like that's a justification for domestic abuse, right? right? I've heard that same. Yes, I've, and so it's like thing. I'm listening, and I mm-hmm. and I agree that there's something here about like suffering unjustly is being like Christ. I think you're right. Yeah, I just don't want it to get so. I don't want some. I don't want it to get extrapolated to the point where it's like right. So therefore never stand up against injustice. Yeah, well, and here's something that's really... I, I was reading another commentary. I can't remember which one. It might have been my one by Ed Clowney. But he talked about a, a major difference between Roman society and our modern society is that Roman society, the populace didn't have agency. Right. It was functionally a dictatorship. Yes. You didn't have the ability to riot. You didn't have the ability to protest. Right. You couldn't vote or legislate for your position. No. In ours, we do. Yes. So, like... We like there's there's something we, very different. We have different. the right to assembly. Yeah, which yeah. Rome could just kill on a dime, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, yeah. Uh, there wasn't even freedom of religion in Rome, right? No. You know, so there's I think there's a difference on like a structural level yes. there. That's interesting. Yeah, and I think that's well, that's a point well taken. Mm-hmm. But when let's just put it in the most extreme example, you're in North Korea. Mm-hmm. No freedom of religion, no right to assembly. You're a Christian under Kim Jong Un. Yeah. How? What do you do then? Yeah. Do you just? I have to just rebel and yell, and I know I'll be put to death. But that's what Jesus did. You know, it's like, right? Is that me? I'm just going to go suffer unjustly because 
I should. Yeah. It's like, no, it's live a life above repute. Yeah. Like that's what, that's the call here is yeah. you're submitting not because the submission in itself is like what you're being called to. Mm-hmm. Like just, just fly under the radar. That's not what you're being called to do. You're being called to live such a good life mm-hmm. that when, when Kim Jong-un notices you mm-hmm. and you get drug into court before him mm-hmm. because you are a Christian under a dictatorship, he can't make any accusations stick. In fact, he's like, you're a Christian, you're terrible. And people come and witness against you and all they can do is say nice things about you. Right. And it's like, oh, actually, Christians make North Korea better. Yes. And then Kim Jong-un becomes a Christian. You know, yeah, like yeah. That's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the parable that's that, That's what Peter told. wants us to say. Yeah. There is something potentially redemptive about Christians enduring suffering and continuing to act like Christ regardless. Right. So that they can be light in dark places. Yes. And they can put the powers to shame. Yes. Okay. Sh- powers can be shamed by Christians willing to endure suffering and continue to act like Christians where they are. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Okay. I can get there. You can get there? I can get there. I just wanted to... Make that footnote. It's a good footnote. Of just like, we're not saying that Christians can't stand up against right. injustice. Yeah, we have it, like, agency to do so. When you have agency to do so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because yeah. it's a different context. Peter's not writing to a Western democracy right. where we have the ability to do things like that. Right. Or the capacity. or the Like, if we had, if Peter would have very different advice, I think. Totally. To people like us. Yes. So, yeah. it's, just, it's not the audience. Good. Okay. So, you know, next we'll just go to the easy one. Verse 18. Servants. <laughs> as, so, as you mentioned before, uh, this is a different word than slave, uh, uh, but yes. it implies slave. It does. It's a household servant. A, yeah. A maid, a butler. But, or it could all, but like, I also don't want to over soften it. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, it could be a field, a field worker or yeah. something like that. Also, I just want to notice something interesting. This is the second time that we haven't been the person in power has not been addressed. Oh, right. Yes. It's the Christian citizen. It's the slave mm-hmm. that Peter's addressing. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go read ancient household codes... That's not who you talk to. You you write to the man of the house. That's right. You don't write to the slave of the house. Mm-mm. You don't write to the, 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 sir, the peasant. Yeah. You write to the ruler. That's right. Um, so Peter's doing some pretty heavy lifting here. Yeah. How, he, even how he's structuring... He himself in his letter is being countercultural. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that we are... It, like dignifying the position of servant mm-hmm. to God. Like, no, no, to be free is to be a servant. Yeah. The Roman, the Greco-Roman world wants to say being in charge is being free. You know, being a servant is being free. He's doing some heavy lifting behind the scenes here. Too. Yes. Okay. So servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, before we jump into this, we have to just flag the historical issue here that texts like this were used mm. in the like antebellum south yeah right to not only justify s- the institution of race-based slavery itself which is evil and wicked mm-hmm. but also that slave masters would use this verse to justify the evil treatment and torture of their own slaves and they would say like look god tells you and they would train slaves just enough like in Christianity, right? So that they could exploit like verses like this. There's a good reason why I had sober sobriety. Yes, <laughs> like th- I mean, so like, but we we have to we have to recognize that mm-hmm. and know that it was wicked and evil, without throwing the verse out. Right. You know, like the way the verse is used is terrible. You know, it's just like I, I use the example of like I've seen, um, 
really weaponized versions of um, preaching, mm-hmm. right? People using the gospel to sell holy water on TV. That's yeah. horrible, you know? And it's like, yeah. but I've also seen the good news just like change someone's life. You know, yeah. it's like just because something's misused doesn't mean it has to be thrown out. Yeah. Uh, the better thing to do is to focus on it and try to figure out what it actually means. Yeah. So I mean, we're going to try to. Yeah, we that. have like, and it's again, I think context is important. And again, I would probably say that those people didn't take this passage seriously. Enough. They definitely didn't take it seriously. Because if they took it more seriously rather than try to use it as a pretext for abuse, I think they would have been indicted by it. They should have been indicted by it. Um, they should have seen themselves as the unjust that God is using slaves to reprimand. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't. Uh, so here so, we go. That's what we're stepping in, I- so, at least historically. Now yeah. we want to get back to Peter's actual audience and say, what was going on though? Yeah. So again, we're talking about the, sur- the whole household would follow, follow the religion mm-hmm. of the head of the house. So if you have a servant not worshiping the same God as the Roman patron, the Roman mm-hmm. father figure, that was like insubordinate. Oh, yeah. It was unraveling the fabric of Roman society. This was against traditional Roman family values. You mm-hmm. can't have this. Um, so if you are a servant, though, being called to another kingdom, what do you do? Especially when everything in Roman society allows your Roman master to punish you for it. Yeah. That's that's the context. Yeah. And so he kind of paints this picture where... Um, you, you kind of it's like okay if you if you do your job and you get credit for it no big deal that's what that's that's your job and yeah. then if you do evil if you do if you don't do your job and you do something wicked and you get beaten you kind of deserved it you know that's kind of a that's, horrible way to say that but yeah he doesn't say that I know, but that's but the way yeah. that, that's the way a slave yeah. master is justified right it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> for what uh, verse 20 for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure right and he's like but what if instead you don't sin because you've been freed from sin? Mm-hmm. Instead, what if you do good and yet you still suffer for it and you endure that? That's a gracious thing in the sight of God mm-hmm. because like that's going to be the thing that reprimands your your master. Yeah. It's, it's like if you... It's the same idea of, of, of like mm-hmm. the, the Christian in North Korea being drugged before mm-hmm. Kim Jong-un. It's the same yeah. idea. Is this good slave being beaten by their master for doing yeah. good? Eventually... The idea is that that light will overtake their darkness. Yes. That that's being a priest to them. Yeah. That you're being Jesus to them. Mm-hmm. That they're seeing their own wickedness. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like you just see, I think there's like some movie or something I'm picturing where like you just see this angry person running out of like their house with a baseball bat in the air or something mm-hmm. uh, to like beat some helpless animal. Yeah. And this helpless animal just looks up at them with like big, you know, yeah, starry dog yeah, eyes yeah, yeah. and they just melt and oh. they are ashamed because they're just like, I'm a monster. The innocence and goodness of this mm-hmm. poor little creature. I'm a monster. And they, they change, you know, mm-hmm. and like it's kind of, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. There's like that redemptive obedience in the willingness to suffer is Peter says can actually reverse the evil of the world around them. the evil right. doers might glorify God on the day of visitation that he might return. That's what he's hoping for. Yep. And he, and he bases it all in Three. verse 21, because Christ also suffered for you, mm-hmm. uh, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He didn't commit sin, and yet he was crucified. Yep. So when you are beaten or mm-hmm. persecuted or ostracized for doing the right thing, you're in good company. 
Yeah, and look at verse 23. Mm. When he was reviled, Jesus did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. So I'm just looking at the two ways to, like, there's two ways to respond. When sin is committed against you, you can lie to get out of it. Lie to get out of it. When people hate you, you can hate them back. Mm -hmm. When you suffer, you can threaten violence in return. Right. Or you can continue to entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Right. There, there is, are people out there who have so little agency that they can either hate the person beating them or they can entrust themselves to the one who judges justly. Yeah. And those are their two options. Mm-hmm. And Peter is saying, that's the better road. Yeah. Because Jesus himself bore our sins in his body. And I think that even that phrase, in his body, is yeah, important here. it is. He's talking to slaves being beaten in their bodies. Yeah. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we could die to sin, we could die to deceit, die to reviling, die to hatred, die to violence, and live to righteousness. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, like, when I'm thinking about the gospel here, it's it's helpful, but it's also, like, really convicting to think that, like, uh, like, I'm really beat up by this text, you know, just having to think about it and like uh, how it's been used. And we're not wanting to conflate this with American slavery because it's just different. It's very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and to and like when it was conflated, that's whenever bad things happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, just even reading it here, just thinking about a household slave that who knows how they got there. It wasn't race based. It was right. economy yeah. based. But that's still like a terrible place to be and to like be beaten at your job for being a Christian just sucks and it just like breaks my heart yeah and i'm like finding it really difficult to think about that and process it and like Mm -hmm. having a hard time even just saying just suffer unjustly you know and entrust yourself to god and why i'm convicted by that Mm -hmm. is because i i don't always feel that same level of heaviness when Mm -hmm. i reflect on jesus's cross Mm -hmm. and i'm just like man why is it harder for me to think about a slave in the first century in Asia in Asia Minor being beaten by their master mm-hmm. because they're a Christian. Why is it harder for me to think about that than it, than it is to think mm-hmm. about Jesus actually suffering and dying under mm-hmm. Roman, yeah. Jewish, and like God's wrath on the cross? Yeah. Why why can I just process that so much easier? Mm-hmm. I'm just like that's really convicting to me that mm-hmm. I'm just like man I've kind of like I've just let that yeah. slip. I don't see Jesus as the unjust sufferer in the same way right and i need to and i mean i think that's a big part of the good news here Mm -hmm. when peter is telling the gospel to slaves he says did you know jesus was a slave too Mm -hmm. did you know he was treated unjustly like he was in your like he doesn't say to the christian masters did you know jesus was a master of the universe like you yeah (laughs) like he doesn't do that he puts jesus he dignifies the slave by placing jesus there with him yeah and I and like, I, I by his wounds you have been healed. Mm. I don't, there's no other verse like that in this whole authority section about the person suffering, mm. experiencing restoration. It's like the evildoer might you know come to faith in right, Jesus. Right, right, right. But for the slave, like by Jesus' wounds, your wounds will be healed too. Yeah. Um, um, there's one last thing I want to say before we move on, mm-hmm. um, and that's just like more of a textual note. So we've been, we've gotten kind of deep and emotional here, but I think something interesting, if you, if you think back to last week when we were talking about, uh, Peter's use of Isaiah and talking about the cornerstone, right? Mm -hmm. 
um, and how he conflated the like the living stone of Jesus is yeah. this temple that's now alive. Um, and like temples are where sacrifices were made by priests. Well, he's also quoting Isaiah here in by his wounds, you have been healed. That's right. And he's saying, Jesus, the stone, the living temple where sacrifices are made. He is the sacrifice himself mm-hmm. and like who heals your wounds. And so I just think he's continuing his, we yeah. talk, as we talked about in the introduction, his, yeah. his midrash of yeah. his messianic, his mid-rosh. messianic midrash of Isaiah here is just like kind of a nerdy note to, um, to, to, to think about. So yeah. Anyway. And I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I read this in one of my other commentaries. So Isaiah 53, you know, has that line yep. about, but he's quoting Isaiah 53 throughout this. Yeah. Even reviling like, deceit, de- being despised, rejected by all mankind. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that Peter retells Isaiah's narrative in the order of Jesus's narrative. Mm. If you read Isaiah 53, um, it, re- you know, it reads like he was suffering familiar with pain. They despised him. They put him in low esteem. He took on our suffering he, yep. in this order. And then what Peter doesn't do is put Jesus's suffering and pain on the cross, this passion narrative on the cross in the same order as Isaiah. Mm. He rewrites Isaiah so it's in the same order as Jesus's suffering on the cross. Oh, interesting. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a we- another weird textual note, yeah, but it's like, cool. it's fun that what Jesus, what Peter is doing. Yeah, with, it's uh, also interesting that, you know, he takes the, the, the hymn of the suffering servant and says, you Christian mm-hmm. are the suffering servant. Yeah. Like... Isaiah 53 mm-hmm. is about you too. Yeah. It's just really powerful. It is. Um, really and then dignifying like you were talking about. Right. Anyway. And then I was thinking about verse 25. It kind of feels like a throwaway line in all this. Yeah. But it's also Isaiah 53. It is. Yeah. It, it is? Yes. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. it is. Yeah. He's a, Isaiah 53. He did yeah. <laughs> it. For we are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So one, he's continuing. We all like sheep have gone astray is what he's quoting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was, so I think like I was thinking about a couple things there. Mm. One, in a text like we keep we, that we just got grounded and like felt like we got thrown against the rocks of just the reality of slavery. Right. This feels like another one of those texts that like kind of pulls us back to like what are you being called into? Mm. You're sheep of a new shepherd. Right. So like there's a new reality that you belong to something beyond yourself, mm-hmm. and you're being true to that thing, not to the situation that you're in. I also thought it was really interesting. Though some of Jesus's last words to Peter were about sheep and shepherds. Totally. It's like, cause Peter denied the suffering of that. You know, he denied that he knew Jesus mm-hmm. as he was suffering, being rejected, reviling. Like you could imagine Ooh. Peter watching this happen. Yeah. Having Isaiah 53 play out in his head as he sees all these things happening. Yeah. He then rejects Jesus. And then when he sees G- and Jesus dies, the next time Jesus says, talks to him he's quoting to him passage about sheep yeah from isaiah 53 um very loaded for him very loaded for him anyway yeah it's also just like um we were all sheep straying uh but we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls i mean that's a very isaiah 53 way of saying you have a better master Mm -hmm. you know talking to slaves and just saying yeah you have a better master and he takes care of his sheep you know so i know it feels like You've gone astray, and now your mm-hmm. now your shepherd's terrible. But you've been set free, mm-hmm. and you have a new shepherd who's good, and he's overseeing your soul, even though you're in this valley.
Okay, so we just finished the second of three like use cases that Peter goes into. We talked about citizens of the of Caesar. We talked about slaves and masters, and it's easy to get lost in the weeds. Yeah, there's just I, so much. There's so much. I want to zoom out real quick and just remind ourselves of the overall argument that Peter is making before we jump into our third you know use case, mm-hmm. which is wives and husbands. What is the what's the point that Peter's trying to drive home here as he's talking about? citizens in a kingdom yeah. and slaves with a master yeah. and freedom and slavery. What's what's yeah. the main thing we need to remember that yeah. Peter's saying? Well, because we are God's chosen people, we are necessarily exiles in our marriages, in our governments, in our in our work. And any and really like in, anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. Uh, These are like three use cases. Use cases. Use cases. Yeah. Like we're exiles. However, and as exiles we will suffer. Mm-hmm. But in our Willingness to accept suffering and extend grace, mm-hmm. even to our persecutors, um, God will be gracious and save some. Yeah, I mean that's the point he's making. Yeah, in a Christian, in an exile's willingness to endure suffering, those above us, one we're suffering like Christ, and those above us might also come to know Him too. Yeah, and not only suffering, uh, enduring suffering, but enduring suffering for doing good mm-hmm. right yeah like not just like oh you're oppressed for no reason <laughs> isn't a necessary good thing right but it's whenever you're oppressed for doing good in yeah. god's name mm-hmm. doing good yeah we'll talk about probably next week suffering for righteousness sake yes. like one of the attitudes exactly um, which yeah so, so yeah that's what he's aiming at and so now we get into our third use case which is wives and husbands that's right um so it starts off First Peter three verse one. Likewise, in the same way mm-hmm. we talked about, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So, yeah. Um, I mean, again, wives were not supposed to have a different religion than their their husband. Right. Um, so to be a Christian wife to a Roman husband would be to unravel good Roman family values. Mm-hmm. You're a threat to society. You're a threat to the moral order. Um, so that's the suspicion coming at them. That's the, that's the persecution coming from the top down. And, a, and a, Ro- a Roman husband would feel the need to crack down on his wife, right? Yeah, totally. I'm like trying to not import like a, a modern sense to this because it's like um, I, I can easily associate with this where it's like, oh, it just would be tenuous for a husband and wife to have two different religions. That would be difficult. That'd be hard. Yeah. I've even like I even know like Christians mm-hmm. who go to different churches. Yep. Husband's and wife who goes different and I'm like, how do you pull that off? It just I, seems hard. It just seems hard. Yeah. Let alone different religions. Uh and not even like I'm not talking denominations. I'm talking like just, com- like you got you got a, a Buddhist and a Mormon. It's just yeah. like how would that work? How do you do this? <laughs> how do you do this? <laughs> and it's like so I'm like trying not to like and I think like the the modern approach to that would be like tolerance. Yeah. You know, show tolerance to each other. Everyone's decision Mutual is respect valid. And love. Um, you know, or it would just be like a lot of arguments, but both husband and wife would have equal grounds and they would argue and they would fight and they would slam doors and someone would sleep on the couch and they'd get a divorce. Yeah. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening here. Like, and so I'm trying to like yeah. rewind the clock 2000 years to a extremely patriarchal society where the husband even has law on his side to squelch his unbelieving wife's 
newfound faith in this Jesus person. Right. Because she's doing something illegal. Yes. And unraveling, the, not only doing something illegal, but there's something about the family institution of mm-hmm. the Roman Empire and yep. how it's built that is really hard for us to grasp onto. Yeah. Like the, the Roman family with the, the father at the head is how Roman society was structured. And like to break that in any way is to threaten Caesar himself. Yeah. And it's real it's hard for us to get back there. But that's everything that's in the water. And yeah. now you so now okay, so now you're a you're a wife of a Roman mm-hmm. husband who worships Zeus and Caesar, you know? Yeah. And then you start realizing there are no other gods. Well, more likely money and power. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh and yeah, and now you believe in Jesus. And you're breaking the law and unraveling the fabric of Roman society. And your husband's putting pressure on you. You're being persecuted. What do you do? What do you do? And Peter says to continue to remain in the marriage and to be subject to the same level power dynamic that's happening. Like he says, stay there. Yeah. That's what, that's the crazy thing. He says, stay there so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of your wives. He just said it. Uh, he said it with Roman governors. Mm-hmm. You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He said it before. Your good deeds will make the evildoers glorify God on the day of visitation. There's something redemptive about a Christian with no power, enduring suffering that redeems the people around them. Right. Yep. That's what he's going yeah. for. Yeah. Uh, something really interesting here is right after he says this like really intense command, mm-hmm. verse 3 he starts talking about jewelry and cosmetics. <laughs> Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your ador- adorning be the hidden person of the heart with mm-hmm. the imperishable beauty and gentleness of a quiet spirit. And it's like, because I, I wonder, you know, if you were this Roman wife, maybe like, is he, is he saying like they, there, there were expectations of beauty for, for wives. I think that's exactly right. Like Roman wives were arm candy in a sense. Yeah. Like that's it, the way. And it's like all of a sudden you're taking those things off and you're not, you're not adorning you're yourself. You're not an object way. for your husband's sexual gratification yeah. or like he can, he's not going to parade you around anymore. Right. So what do you do? Yeah. What are you putting on now that you're not wearing that dress? Yeah. Gentleness and love and, and cool. yeah. yeah. Well, interesting the word choices you use. So it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to stay in this marriage mm-hmm. so that your husband might be won over. Mm-hmm. wife I know you have no power I know the government's coming for you I know you're not supposed to do this but if you stay in this marriage there's a chance your husband might turn around you can be a priest here you can be a priest here you can be an exile and you might be a priest here do that mm-hmm. by not necessarily just putting on the clothes that your husband might want you to wear put on the clothes of a new husband yeah um, and he uses the words that we've already seen the imperishable beauty the last right. time we heard the word imperishable was the, the, the imp- seed the, the imperishable seed of God's word. Yeah. We also, the, our inheritance that is imperishable, mm. undefiled, and unfading. And the, even these words gentle and quiet spirit are used later. Um, uh, yeah. In 1 Peter 3, 15, when Peter is just talking about suffering for righteousness sake in general, all people are supposed to put on gentleness and respect mm. towards those that they're suffering unjustly against. They put on this Christian virtue of being an exile in your own marriage while you're mm. married to another, a better husband. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, and this is very precious in God's sight, which again is another callback to the covenant language. Oh, right. My precious people. Yes. My precious people. So, right. uh, 
Is that, is that the answer what you yeah, were going I was for? Yeah, I was just, it was just interesting to be like, okay, because I was, I was trying to ask the question, what does it look like to be subject to your own husbands? It can't mean to take on their gods and to deny Christ. So what does it look like? Right. Like, it, it, whatever social expectation, like that's what you were getting at. Like, yeah, yeah, and it's like, it also can't mean going with the tide of expected culture, mm-hmm. which is like, be arm candy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, but there's a way to be subject in a sense to your husband and still be living very counterculturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, think about yeah. marriage also wasn't for love. Right. Marriage was for status. Mm-hmm. Women were proof of a man's status. Mm-hmm. And so what's Peter inviting these women to do? He's inviting them to prove their stat, like to show their status as a citizen of a new kingdom. Right. You're no longer, you, you will submit to your husband, but you don't belong to your husband in that way anymore. Right. Yeah, you submit to a new husband. You belong to a new husband and you're supposed to adorn yourself as if you, you've been given a status greater than the one who rules over you mm-hmm. right now. I think that's part of what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. There, there's also the, uh, the weird angel thing with all of this too. Oh, where's the angels in here? Uh, they're not in here. Oh, they're in. But they're in Enoch. They're in Enoch. Oh, we'll get to Enoch. Is that in Second Peter we talk about this? Or First uh, Corinthians? Or Jude. And Jude, yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, there's this whole idea of like uh, fallen angels ended up giving humanity oh, these things that he references totally gold jewelry that. and fancy hair and makeup <laughs> that fallen angels were the ones who gave that. This is an intertestinal book. In, in if you in are Enoch. interested in how fallen angels might've invented jewelry, tune in for our, our Jude, Jude podcast, podcast, which is forthcoming forthcoming. Anyway, um, I just wanted to flag that cause it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. okay. So the next thing he does, he talks about jewelry and hair, but then the next thing he does is he, he kind of tells like a, a parable or a narrative. He refers back to Genesis mm-hmm. uh, with like the patriarchal family of Israel. Yeah. He goes back to Abraham and Sarah, which we've already said, Abraham's like the foil for first Peter. He's the first exile. Yes. He was called out of his home an right. exile towards a new home. But in the story that Peter's about to tell, Abraham is not the hero. <laughs> That's the way it seems. So here's what it's five and six says. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. So it's like, act like this to your unjust husbands. They used to act this way by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Mm-hmm. So it's a difficult text. It's a difficult text. There's a couple things going on here. Um, one is when did Sarah obey Abraham? What 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 are they referring to? Yeah. And then when did she call him Lord? Yeah. What it sounds like on the surface is a proof text for um, patriarchy. Patriarchy. That's yeah. what it kind of sounds like on the surface. And for women to just get on with it. Right. Sarah did it with Abraham and it worked right. great. That's what it sounds like. And what's weird about this is in Abraham and Sarah, you have two faithful people, but the whole context so far has been... An, an ungodly, unjust Roman husband Mm -hmm. and a Christian spouse. Like it seems like a weird story to insert here. Yes. So the only time in Genesis there were that Sarah or Sarah, yeah, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah called Abraham Lord Mm -hmm. is in Genesis 18, 12. Yeah. When she is, it's like laughing. She's laughing about the prophecy about giving a son. Right. And will my Lord get me pregnant? It's like the sarcastic (laughs) comment. That's the only time in scripture. It's not a reverent. It's not like, it's not a reverent. So it's like, that's such a straight. So if he's talking about that, 
Such an odd reference. Such an odd reference. And we're never told in Genesis that Sarah obeys Abraham. We're actually told the opposite. Right. Abraham, we're explicitly told Abraham obeys Sarah three times. <laughs> so it seems weird. What's Peter talking about yeah. in the story? Because we don't seem to have biblical reference for it. Right. The outlying theory, which will, it's not my favorite theory, mm. but there's a another intertestamental book called the Testament to Moses. Yeah, Testament testimony of moses either way either way testament of moses um, where there's a story about sarah submitting obeying and calling abraham lord right maybe he's referencing that maybe yeah. the whole jewelry thing is a reference to enoch we'll right. talk about that later yeah um but there's another theory. and i think potentially more compelling theory yeah. is there isn't a story of sarah obeying abraham and it's when abraham is not obeying the word right it's when Abraham tells Sarah to pretend that he's her his sister. Right. They they go to this. They yep. go to a, another nation. So they're foreigners and exiles. They fitting of Egypt. the theme. They go to Egypt. Fitting of the theme. And he's afraid for his life. And so he tells Sarah to pretend to be a sister because she's so beautiful. And hopefully the king will treat Abraham well because of Sarah's beauty. And yeah, because and Sarah's added to his political harem and yep. Abraham. And, and so Sarah goes along with it, obeys him in a sense, mm -hmm. even though it's a dumb idea and he's not being faithful. And the narrative tells us this. Yes. <laughs> and, and yet, and so, and yet she God. She does it twice. Right, twice this happens. And yet God uses like the obedience of Sarah, mm -hmm. despite Abraham's faithlessness mm -hmm. to save his people and end up teaching Abraham some lessons in the process. Yes. And so it's like, that's an interesting way to think about it is that even when a faithful wife is submitting to a dumb husband who's yeah. being disobedient to the word, God can do miraculous things. Yes. And that's the point. That's the point. This is not about all husbands for all time. Yeah. This is not about all marriages for all time. What happens when there's a power imbalance in a marriage and the husband is ruling over his wife? She's not even allowed to be a, a part of a different religion. Mm -hmm. And her husband keeps telling her to do things she's not supposed to do. Right. How do you live as that type of wife? Well, you submit up to a point in right. a certain way, and perhaps it can win over your husband. Yeah. Perhaps. And, and, and like, it doesn't even have to be like a cause and effect, direct cause and effect. Mm -hmm. Like, God can use that mm -hmm. to bring about a change in your husband. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, the other thing that we, we briefly flagged it here, yeah. I just want to, or earlier, I just want to flag it here. Mm -hmm that this is not an excuse for domestic abuse. Yep. I just want to flag it. It's, yep. it we, should, we should flag that. And I think in the next, I, I want to keep talking about this, yeah. but I think there's an oblique reference to domestic abuse in the next verse. Mm. Likewise, husbands live with your wives as in an understanding way, showing honor the woman as the weaker vessel, mm -hmm. since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers would not be hindered. Mm -hmm. So the weaker vessel, I think just implies general, the general physical difference between men and women. Right. And how do men in power generally use their strength? Yeah, they domineer over they women. They dominate and hurt women. Right. And I think this is calling on husbands, at least implicitly, that they cannot use their strength right. to abuse Don't their physically wife. dominate women for your own um, like pleasure. That's right. Yes. And and to But even to say that this isn't a, um, a pretext for domestic violence, this isn't a pretext for any of those things, is to miss the point of what we're talking yes. about. Yes. Is to miss the point of what peter's trying to say he's right. like wives i know you're an impossible position mm -hmm. wives i know you have no power in the relationship i know you can't do anything but here's what happens when you do mm. just as jesus did something when he 
He acted powerless to stop it. He rose from the dead. Right. If you act as Jesus, things change. Mm. Resurrection can happen. Right. Like that's the hope he's offering. Like that, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. That's the whole point. Like that's right. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. You shouldn't be able to do anything from the grave. Right. You shouldn't be able as a wife in Roman society, you shouldn't be able to affect change. As a slave in Roman society, as a citizen in Roman society, you should have no agency. Mm-hmm. But by acting like Christ, you do. Yeah. By acting like Christ, you push back darkness. As acting like Christ, you extend the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the empire. Yes. That's the hope he's giving right. these people. And so like for all of us then, as Christians living today, what does that have to say to us? I think is a really good question. Mm-hmm. Is it's like do good wherever you are, whatever that looks like, you know, and that will that will look like going against the grain of culture, mm-hmm. you know. Just but live live that out, mm-hmm. um, and when you do, God will use what seems to you perhaps seemingly insignificant, mm-hmm. you know. Like all I did was like marry one woman, and oh, yeah, never yeah, cheated yeah. on yes. her. Yeah, you know, that's all I did. I just. I just waited until marriage to have sex Mm -hmm. and then I got married to one woman and we were faithful to each other Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. And it's like, that seems like nothing, you know, to me, you know, uh, and yet God is saying like in those small things, you know, in what seems like nothing, what should have no effect. One marriage of two people in Edmond, Oklahoma, you know, shouldn't, should not change the world, Mm -hmm. but in God's kingdom, it can. Yeah. Uh, and like I told a, I told the story briefly on the last episode yeah. at the end where it's like Megan and I's marriage. Mm-hmm. That's kind of been my view of it. Like right. our marriage can't change the world. Right. It just it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. And yet um, I think it bears repeating some of the story that we had a, a person in our life sitting on our couch in our home uh, struggling with sexual sin on a really deep level. And it was our marriage that mm-hmm. they said is drawing them out of sexual sin because there's something about it that's attracting yeah. them. Not that they want to go find a healthy marriage. They yeah. actually don't want to get married now. Mm-hmm. They want Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's calling them to Jesus. Yeah. And I was like, I had to ask her. I was just like, why? You know, yeah. and I don't know. There's just something mm-hmm. compelling pulling yeah. me towards God. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. like a marriage in Edmond, Oklahoma is saving someone's life. Yeah. Even though it shouldn't. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. But it will. There's something, like we were saying, there's something powerful about simple, like not simple, but costly obedience to God that changes the world. Yeah. It really does. And that's the hope Peter keeps offering to the powerless. Again, like he writes to wives, slaves, and citizens. Mm -hmm. Nobody writes to those people except Peter. Yeah. Um, He does end with an exhortation to husbands. Yes. And it's likewise husbands. It's like everything I said to the wives applies to you guys. Um, yes. Yeah. Like it's like, he's like, he's like, he leaves the most powerful person for last for last, which is a big no, no in Roman society. Um, I mean, even today, like you mentioned, you mentioned the biggest donor first at the charity ball, you know, like, (laughs) right, right, right. Oh, and by the way, thank you to our multi-million dollar donor. Yes. Yeah. You don't do that. No. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. Yeah. That word honor is the same word in two seven. Mm. That's just that's precious. Yeah, treat your wife like the precious, chosen nation and priests they are. Yep, they are the physically weaker, but they are also heirs with you of the grace of life. Mm-hmm. Treat your wives 
like they are an heir with you. An heir. Yeah. An equal inheritor. Right. A princess. A princess. A queen, a queen of God himself. Right. Um, yeah. That informs your relationship with her. Totally. And a couple of things there. Is Peter addressing a Christian husband with a non-believing wife? Mm. That could be. It's like, it could be. And it makes sense. That yep. Everything has been in that direction. So yep. when you have a non-believing wife as a husband, what do you do? Do you kick her out? You have the power to do so. You could mm. divorce her. Right? Right. You could do that. Uh, do you treat her poorly? You have the physical strength to do so. Like what do you, how as a yeah. Christian husband do you treat your non-believing wife? And the Greek would allow that reading. Yep. I think my translation makes it sound like the women are clearly Christian. Mm. The Greek is a little more ambiguous. It could be a Christian and a wife living, a Christian husband and Christian wife. It's like, yep. okay, guys, and work that out in, right. with respect to one another. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but the point remains the same. The point remains the same. That whether you are in a position of power or a position of powerlessness, mm -hmm. you are to be like Christ, laying down that power mm -hmm. in order to show goodness and mercy and mm -hmm. grace and love yeah. to every single person around you. Yeah. Um, like, that's the point. That's the point. Um, and like, if you want to enact change in the world, you don't do it by being domineering, yeah. by rising up, by rebelling, by you do it counterculturally like Jesus did. You die. <laughs> you suffer right. unjustly. You do good when everything around you is evil. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think that's the exhortation, the good news to everyone listening today is like, no matter what situation you find, you find yourself in, if you have a ton of power or if you have no power mm -hmm. at all, like the way God has designed his kingdom is you can change the world. <laughs> like you can be a priest in a living temple yeah. because you too can lay down your life. Yeah. I'm thinking about what Jesus said mm. that we need, you need to count the cost. Yeah. I feel like this is a pretty full picture of what counting the cost looks like. Yeah. If whenever you think about Jesus saying before you become a citizen of my kingdom, you need to count the cost. Mm -hmm. What's it going to cost for wives, slaves, and citizens to become citizens of this new kingdom? This is a pretty clear picture of what Jesus probably had in mind. Yeah. And even the, the closest parallel I can even think is like my, some of my Muslim friends that have converted to Christianity yeah. who experience a very similar degree of social ostracization and mm -hmm. estrangement from their family. Like they're just, they're severed and cut off. Yep. And even they're like, there's no persecution on the line. There's no whip on the line, except maybe like the disapproval of your father, which is pretty strong. Mm -hmm. the, like the rejection of your mother. But like, what do you do in that situation? It's, I mean, you've, you're beyond the pale for, for your family. Yeah. It feels hopeless, which I'm assuming these wives, slaves, and citizens felt. Mm. But simple, simple Christ-like kindness and a willingness to suffer unjustly is redemptive. Mm -hmm. It can change. It matters. It can resurrect things. Yes. Yeah. Um, and no matter what you suffer, you will be resurrected. Yes. That life is now yours. Yes. It's imperishable mm -hmm. no matter what you endure. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. It's been a lot. Uh, yeah, this is, this has been a difficult passage, but, uh, really helpful and just gives me different ways to even process the cross, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us uh, on this episode. Uh, we'll continue in First Peter 3 next week about suffering for righteousness sake. Um, so I'm excited to, to kind of keep going through First Peter with you guys. And uh, please Ooh. join us there. What's, what what else do you have about, to tease? We, gotta, we get to talk about Noah and the angels. Oh boy, angels are finally coming. I can finally talk about it. Yeah, you can so finally excited. talk about it. Uh, well, good. 
Noah and the angels. And is like coming. uniquely, as you just flagged here, it's like you will be saved in the last. You'll be resurrected on the last day. Mm-hmm. Peter really opens that up Ooh. in next week too. The eschaton. The eschaton. All right. Well, I'm very excited. Then mm-hmm. we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.